0: Well, some of us probably have a green thumb, as we say. Uh, some of us don't. Anyone have a green thumb? <laughs> you know what that means, right? Uh, you're, you're good at, uh, at planting things. You're good at cultivating things. Some of us can plant a single seed, and it can produce all kinds of fruit. Some of us can't even go to Home Depot or Lowe's or wherever else it is uh, and get an established tree. All you got to do is water it. Uh, we're not really good at that either. If you come to my backyard, you'll see uh, examples of that. Li- not, nice, some nice pots with some not so nice trees and and plants growing. So some of us have green thumbs, and some of us don't. Uh, yesterday, I uh, dropped Shady off at one of her soccer teammates' house, and uh, they had all kinds of cool trees and plants and animals, and uh, just a, just an amazing person. Um, able to grow uh, a Hawaiian taro here in Oceanside and uh, fruit and vegetables and all that, uh, all that they had. Well, whether you're not any, uh, whether you're any good at gardening or not, uh, one of the things that we see the Lord is good at throughout Scripture is gardening. You know that? The Bible describes God as a gardener. God as a gardener. Uh, we've seen that already in our story, haven't we? Haven't we seen God as a gardener already in Genesis? Where was that? And the Lord God planted what? The garden, right, east of Eden. The Lord is a gardener. He literally planted the garden. Of course, he created it. He caused it all to spring up. But the Bible also uses that imagery of God as a gardener, one who plants and and who tills land and who removes rocks, uh, who cultivates the soil, who waters it, who brings it uh, increase, and harvests it. He does the whole thing from beginning to end. Uh, The Bible also describes God in that way, but it's also a metaphor of his relationship towards his people. The psalmist says, for example, in Psalm number 80, just mark that down and go ahead and read that later on, but in Psalm 80, we read these words, you, speaking of the Lord, you brought a vine out of Egypt. So just a vine. You drove out the nations and planted it. It's describing here the Exodus. So you took a vine out of Egypt and you removed all the nations in the land of promise and you planted just that little vine. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep roots, filled the land. God is a master gardener. Isaiah 5, another passage, says like this, a couple of verses. In Isaiah 5, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyards. So here is uh, this song uh, of God, our beloved, uh, and he has a vineyard. He has a vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones. Notice the same language from the Psalm 80. Cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. There's one other place in the Bible that you might know where God is described as a master gardener. It comes from the lips of Jesus. Perhaps you know where Jesus describes God as a gardener. Do you know where that's at? John 15. John 15. And Jesus, amazingly, says what? Of himself. I am the true vine. I am the true vine. So God took a vine out of Egypt, brought it into the land of promise, planted it, cultivated it, gave it great blessing as uh, as isaiah 5 as well says and then the lord jesus christ comes the messiah of israel and he says i am the true vine i am the true vine what does he say of god my father is the vine dresser georgias is the greek term and it comes into english it's not the greatest way to translate words but it comes into english as gorgeous uh it's a way of describing him that he, he keeps it, he, he tends it, uh, he, he blesses it, he waters it, he prunes it, he clips off all the dead leaves, keeps the, the bugs away and so forth, and the animals away, uh, and, and he makes it what it is. And so, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And so our story here this morning, all that to bring us to, to Genesis 47, uh, it speaks of how the Lord planted and he prospered just a little seed in that land. He planted a little seed in Goshen, this sort of northwestern territory of Egypt. And he prospered that little seed. What's the seed that he planted? Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5 said that he brought a vine out. But before it was a vine, there had to be a seed. What's the seed? It's it's Jacob and his family, isn't it? That small family we saw last Sunday. Seventy people, that little round number, the Hebrew round number. Seventy people were taken down there, and so uh, the Lord takes that small seed, and he plants it in this fertile soil of Goshen in northwest Egypt, and as we meditate upon this story, uh, it should comfort our hearts, and it should cheer our hearts, uh, because in planting Israel like a seed, we learn again of the Lord's faithfulness, his faithfulness to bring about his own promise, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That little seed is planted in Genesis here, uh, and then it's brought out in Exodus, as the Psalmist says, and I, and Isaiah said. And that vine, that true vine, the, the the reality of what that vine Israel was meant to portray was our Savior Jesus. And now, as we know, now as we know uh, that that vine begins to spread over all the earth and begins to have many branches and begins to have much, much fruit. You and me. Well, first of all, notice here the planting of the seed leads in this imagery of God, the Lord, as a a planter. And he has a seed in his hand that he's going to plant. And notice he plants that seed, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Joseph here, he's taken five of his brothers to see the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says to settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. In the best of the land. Now that's in contrast, notice to verse 4. It's in contrast to what Joseph's brothers say there in verse 4. Uh, there was no pasture in their own land. Why? Because the famine was severe. So it's interesting that uh, they're no longer in the land uh, of promise. The land that one day is going to be described as flowing with milk and honey. Uh, they're gonna, it's going to take a whole troop of men to carry on one large stick or one pole just one cluster of grapes. Just one cluster of grapes. That's how blessed and how fruitful the Promised Land was. But the the Promised Land isn't that right now. It's a place of famine and death. But here, amazingly, in God's providence, we have have Goshen, this small little region in the northwest of, of Egypt. It's sort of a mini- promised land or it's sort of a little preview of the promised land outside of the promised land at least temporarily for 400 years it's going to be a place where humanly speaking it was a place of blessing although of course we'll see uh, that with the pharaoh it wasn't because of the slavery but here's the lord showing that his people are blessed and he's uh, preparing this land he's cultivating the soil he's going to put them there like a seed and they're going to grow the next thing Joseph does uh, is to bring his father, finally, to Pharaoh, as he told the Pharaoh he was going to do. And and, 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 and we note there, we, we hear there again Jacob uh, describing himself in terms of desperation. We've seen his faith. He's gone up to the promised land, or, or he's gone down, excuse me, to uh, the land of Egypt from the promised land. Uh, but he's a man who struggles throughout his whole life. He's got faith, we saw last Sunday, but yet he's still... A depraved sinner, Uh, he has he believes, but yet he struggles to believe, and so we get a sense of his desperation here that he that he describes to Pharaoh. uh, Not really the the, sort of the first impression that you want to make upon the Pharaoh that my days on this cursed earth have been few and evil. Verse nine, few and evil. After this, the text says Joseph gave them possession of the land of Egypt in the best of the land as pharaoh commanded and joseph verse 12 provided his whole family with food so they are in this sort of miniature promised land at the command of the pharaoh they have the best part of the land they're segregated they're separated from uh, the egyptians because of their own religious beliefs but uh, here they are, separated out in this little space, uh, with, allowed to become fruitful and multiply. Uh, it's a great land. It's a blessed land. They have food. They have drink. They have uh, rest from their weariness. They have place to live and to be cultivated. And they're like a seed there being planted. And in these verses, and, and in the Lord's planting them there, we see many things about God. There's many things here about God that we need to reflect on for a few minutes. First of all, we see here the faithfulness of the Lord. We see the faithfulness of the Lord all the way back in our in our story in Genesis chapter 3 uh, that famous verse verse 15 what's called the mother promise Genesis three fifteen, where God made that promise uh, that Eve was going to give birth to a seed or to a son an offspring and he would crush the seed of the serpent's head. So just as the serpent deceived Eve uh, and deceived Adam, so one day God said that she was going to have a son, a seed, who was going to crush the seed of the serpent, as Adam should have done, as he didn't. do. And that promise has been unfolding, chapter upon chapter, year upon year, decade upon decade, and up to this point, no doubt, many thousands of years, unfolding and... There are many steps the Lord has taken and, and that is used to continue that promise all the way to here. Has, has, so up to, up to this point of Genesis 47, has the seed of the woman been born? Has that seed who's going to crush and stamp out the serpent's head been born? Oh. So God has to be faithful to that promise to continue them, to give them life, to give them health, to give them blessing, to give them food. There can't be a seed of Eve unless there are Israelites who are, who are now that, that promised people. But that one seed, that one man, that one Savior, that one Messiah has yet to be born. And so we see here in all these details the Pharaoh's command of this blessed land, this sort of uh, land that flowed with milk and honey, at least temporarily. Uh, in a little miniature way, with food and rest and and all that they needed. We see God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness in it all. We see also, secondly about the Lord here, we see, as we've been seeing before, His providence. His providence. And what we mean by that is, we can describe it in many ways, but that He's He's orchestrating history itself For the benefit and the salvation of his people, the providence of the Lord. There's a famine. Uh, There are these brothers. Uh, There is this Pharaoh. There are are those traders from uh, uh, those Ishmaelite Midianite traders, and all those human, earthly details were all orchestrated and used by God on His on His uh, eternal, infinitely wise chessboard. All to organize and orchestrate this salvation. This salvation of the Jews up to this point. He did everything for their benefit. Why? Because he promised that he would. That he would use them and bring salvation through them. We see something else about God here. Thirdly, we see his sovereignty. We see his sovereignty. None of this would have happened apart from his powerful hands. Apart from the power of God orchestrating and using and working and moving in the story, none of this would have happened. Joseph would have been dead by now. His brothers probably would have been dead by now. The Pharaoh would have crushed them. Why would the Pharaoh give his food to foreigners when he can't even feed his own people? God's power is the answer. God in his power has not only... Uh, in his providence, orchestrated human history, but in his sovereignty, made it happen. God's power here. Working, uh, organizing, orchestrating, moving even the heart of the Pharaoh to bless with salvation the Jews. We see also his compassion, that is the Lord. We see his compassion. What do they need? They've just come down on all these carts, all these children, these... These wives, uh, elderly, Jacob, dying Jacob, at least he felt like he was dying. Uh, there's this great famine. What do they need? What's the th- number one thing that you need in a famine? You need food and water, right? You need food and water. We, we see the compassion of God. We see the compassion in giving them what they need, stooping down and blessing them, providing for them. We see his tenderness towards them. Again, Jesus said there in John 15, verse 1, My Father is the vine dresser. My Father is the vine dresser. Here's the Lord caring for his children, his people. He's prepared the soil for them. He's tenderly planted these seeds, the seed, into the ground. And he very tenderly will make sure that it grows. And prosperous. <coughs> so think about all the details that it must have uh, taken to 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 pull this off, to orchestrate this. We think about it just in human ways, and uh, you know, think about ways in which, say, the U.S. military has to orchestrate moving entire. Uh, 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 Entire armies, right? Entire platoons of marines. All the ships, all the, all the jets. We drove past uh, Miramar, the airship uh, air yesterday, and all the fighter jets, and all the, all the pilots, all the fuel, all the food, all the things that it takes to orchestrate to move people across the world. It's probably just an enormous, enormous list of tens of thousands of little tiny details. And if one of them goes wrong, well, the whole, the whole plan goes wrong. But here's God orchestrating human history to bring salvation to his people. And it makes us think, it should make us think, something like this. You know, if the Lord took such great care for an entire nation, now they were a small nation, 70, but if God took such great care of them. And he planned it and he purposed it and he, and he cultivated this area. He moved the heart of the Pharaoh. He caused the famine, but yet he also blessed. Joseph with wisdom to prepare for the famine and in the famine. If God did all this in the middle of an international famine, if God cared for them in the middle of all those infinitely numerous details, can he care for me? Can he care for me? Here's the Lord caring for them in this grand way, but he's the same God who cares for you and me doesn't he promise us that he's going to protect us from our enemies doesn't he promise us in his words in no, in no less of a way than this I mean this is sort of a moving heaven and earth to get those their people, their people down there but doesn't he promise us to deal tenderly with us in times of need I mean we, we can go to Jesus and because he became like us the book of Hebrews tells us uh, he, he is moved with compassion he's able to understand us And deal tenderly with us in our sins. In times of weakness. We can go to him, know that he was tempted like I was, yet without sin. In times of distress. I know that Jesus cares for me. I mean, he cried out in the greatest of ways that God had forsaken him. But I sing to him, oh, why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. If he could care for them in such a huge way, can he not care for you and me, even in very small ways? And what a picture we have here then. What a picture we have here then of uh, the Lord as this master planter, uh, this one who is planting salvation for his people uh, there in Egypt, and it's all a story again of his providence and his plan to bring the Savior to the world. It's a picture of your salvation. The Lord has orchestrated the history of the world in a sense for you, in a sense for you to prepare history, to prepare the place, to prepare all the details and the person, especially of that seed of the woman, our Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of Jacob, the seed of uh, Isaac, the seed of Abraham, who would come and bring salvation to us and he's still doing this he's still doing this it's not just that he orchestrated it once to save israel he brought us jesus amen and we leave he's still doing this he's still doing this are we praying for the lost are we thinking about and praying about the lost those who need to know jesus christ are we thinking about how we can plant seeds of the gospel into their hearts? Are we asking God by his Holy Spirit to produce the fruit? As Paul said, I, well, one man plants and one man waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. Are you praying like that? One hymn says it like this. Sow in the morn, the morning, sow in the morn thy seed. At Eve, hold not thy hands to doubt and fear. Give thou no heed. Broadcast it's the seed of the gospel that is o'er the land. Don't be afraid. Share the gospel. Sadie, yesterday, when uh, when I, when I took Sadie to a soccer game, we uh, we saw a homeless man, and he asked me for a bottle of orange juice. I went to the Starbucks, got an orange juice. Share the gospel with him. Thankfully, we're in Santee. There's a church one mile down the road that I know about. And I said, "You got to go to this church." Gave him the address and all that stuff, and it was great. Pray the Lord. Pray the Lord waters that little seed. Don't be afraid. Thou knowest not which may thrive, meaning these seeds, the late or early sown. God keeps His precious seed alive, when and where'er strown. Thou canst not toil in vain. This hymn says, "Cold, heat." And moist and dry shall foster and mature the grain for garners in the sky. Here's God, this master gardener, and amazingly, in the in the fullness of times, he calls us to participate in this planting, watering, and sowing project as well. Pray, pray for the lost, plant seeds, ask God to give growth and fruit. And then you see that here. You see that here, verses 27, skipping down uh, towards the end. The, this prospering of the seed. God has planted it there. And God is going to bless it. Notice that while Israel is gaining possessions, we're told, what are the Egyptians doing? What was that? They're, yeah, they're, gi- they're selling their They're giving up their possessions, right? Israel's gaining, and Egypt's losing everything they have. All their money is gone. Now their livestock are gone. Now their land is all gone. And now their persons are all gone. Israel's gaining. They're being blessed. Egypt's giving up all that they have. But what's most telling about that is this. The lesson is not that this is some prosperity gospel. Verse 27 is the important, the important phrase. What does it mean that they're gaining possessions? And why are they gaining possessions? Why is Egypt losing? Notice, Israel was fruitful and multiplied greatly. Israel was fruitful and multiplied greatly. Sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to you? Fruitful, multiply, greatly. Where else have we read that language? book of Genesis, right? I mean, we're in Genesis. It's in Genesis. It's got to be there. Right? Chapter 1, verse 28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. <clears throat> and then later on, after, not just before, or a part of the creation, before the fall, but after the fall, Adam and Eve have sinned, and eventually, uh, went, when, he, when he calls Noah to build an ark and to save his family from a flood of judgment, they come out of the flood, they leave the ark, and God again commands Noah and that new human race to be fruitful, to, to multiply, to fill the earth. God is faithful to his promises, you see. He's faithful to his promises, you see. They are being fruitful. They are being uh, given fruitfulness and they are then beginning to multiply greatly. And, you, and we see this throughout the story. That God is the one who's constantly blessing and providing and giving them everything that they need every single step of the way. If you go back to chapter 12 at verse number 2, notice there where God uh, uh, speaks in this kind of language of fruitfulness and multiplication uh, to Father Abram. Chapter 12, verse number 2, where he says, I will make you a great nation. So there's a promise of this nation uh, and its greatness. And again, verse uh, chapter 15 At verse number 5, he commands Abram to look up at the heavens at night, and he says, so shall your offspring be when he sees all the stars. Again, chapter 17 at verse number 6, he promises to Abraham, after he's changed his name, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. There's that language again, fruitful. Chapter 22, verse 17, just Follow me along, chapter twenty-two, verse seventeen. God again promises, "I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars and as the sand." He tells Isaac later on, chapter twenty-six, verse four, "I will multiply your offspring as the stars." And he has told us uh, told this to to Jacob as well, thirty-five, eleven. I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. And he told him again, we saw last Sunday, chapter 46, verse 3, I will make you into a great nation. And we'll see it again next Sunday, chapter 48, verse uh, 4. I will make you fruitful and multiply you. So it's God who has planted this little seed, and it's him who now is uh, prospering this little but... Becoming greater, see, the seed is growing roots in the land of Goshen. Uh, it's beginning to grow and be fruitful, and it's beginning to multiply. Until one day, Israel was fruitful, Exodus 1, verse 7, and increased greatly. And that leads us to the whole story of Exodus and why they, uh, why they left, why God called them out. So the, the Lord planted and he prospered. And so what's interesting is, in the the glorious uh, gospel, the way that God works, uh, is God still speaking to us in this kind of a way? Does he still speak of greatness and fruitfulness and multiplication in the gospel? When Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection uh, that uh, all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him, he commanded them to do what? Matthew 28. Go, make disciples of what? All the nations. And what was the promise that that mission of baptizing and teaching, discipleship, uh, disciple making, what was the promise of God that that was actually going to happen? What else, what else did he say in that, in that passage? He said, I'm with you always till the end of the age. To the end of the age, notice. And what do we see in the Bible? At the end of the age. We see or we hear these words. Revelation chapter 5. is a vision of heaven. All the saints are in heaven, bowing down before God. And they sang a new song, saying, Revelation 5, 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. What people? From or out of every tribe, from or out of every language, from or out of every people, and from or out of every nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then he, does John, he receives this other vision. And he hears this number, this great number, Of the redeemed. And then he turns and what does he see in Revelation 7 verse 9? A great multitude that no one could number from or out of every nation. Tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and so forth. Is God still keeping his promise to Father Abraham to make him the father of a multitude of nations? Like the stars and the sand? Yes. How does it happen? It happens through the gospel. The preaching of the gospel. The sharing of the gospel. Praying that God would give us opportunities to share the gospel uh, as a people, as a church, as individuals. Praying that God would give us a a chance to, uh, to sow seed and spread seed upon many hearts, many kinds of soils. Pray that God would bless and prosper from every people, tribe, language, and nation amongst us uh, this gospel promise. To bring people to become the children of Abraham, the the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that we can participate in that. And so our story is about Joseph, and it's about Jacob, and it's about uh, the tribes of Israel, it's about the Pharaoh, and about all these promises, but they come true in Christ in and through us. Do we recognize it? Do you you realize this? These old, old stories of of Genesis are are stories that apply to us. The things that God was doing then are the things that God is doing now through different people and different tribes amongst different languages in different places and so forth. But he's doing the same thing. He's planting seeds. He's giving increase. We need to pray that God would use us in the gospel ministry of spreading seeds, praying that God would prosper those seeds, bless those seeds, plant, water, but get God who gives the increase, so that we could we can stand and we can stand with uh, with Jacob, we can stand with Isaac, Abraham, our fathers, and say that yes. We are a part of that people that is a great nation. Greater than the stars and the sand. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. One hymn says it like this. On what has now been sown, this gospel word, on what has now been sown, your blessing, Lord, bestow. The power is yours alone to make it spring and grow. O Lord, in grace, the harvest raise, and you alone shall have the praise. Let's pray.